Hi, and welcome to Effective's Top 10 Tips podcast. Each episode is a quick roundup of practical, easy to implement tips on a wide range of management and personal development themes. As always, full show notes for this episode, including a handy summary of each tip, are available on our website. Just see the episode notes for this and many other useful links. We also offer workshops and coaching on all topics covered in this podcast. If you'd like to find out more, just visit our website, effectiveconnect.co.uk. So, welcome to this week's podcast, which is on the topic of challenging conversations. So these are my top 10 tips for managing challenging conversations. Before I begin, I've decided to organise my 10 suggestions around the mnemonic priorities. That's a 10 letter word and each of the letters of that word will start a separate word which is relevant to challenging conversations. So let's start with the first tip which begins with the letter P. This stands for problem. Be clear what the problem is. Be specific so that the reason for the conversation is clear to both parties. Remember too that the problem is often less to do with the incident or event but more to do with the consequences or impact of that event. Make sure the other person is aware of those consequences. These are often a more persuasive lever for gaining acceptance. For example, there is no immediate or perhaps little harm in the incident or event of having an extra alcoholic drink. It's the massive consequence of this action that is crucial. So emphasize the negative or unwanted consequences as the major evidence that makes the problem a problem. So tip number one, clarify the problem. Tip number two, the second letter of the word priorities is R, which stands for response. In the world there are two positions, the external provocation and the internal response. The external provocation is everything that happens to you or impacts upon you and you wish it didn't, such as illness, getting stuck in a traffic jam, and clothes that no longer fit. The internal response is how you deal with these provocations. Most provocations will just happen. It's just part of life. Stuff, unhelpful and unwanted stuff, just happens. And it happens to everyone, to all of us. What matters is how each of us deals with it. And that's our response. Whatever the provocation, the difference is in the response. So in preparing for, then conducting a challenging meeting, decide on your response. Whatever is coming at you from the other side of the table. However they are behaving, you choose and control your response. And it is that response that makes the key difference, not only to the overall outcome, but also to how you feel about the situation and about yourself. So here's an example. If the other person is being aggressive or belligerent or in some way difficult, what might your options be in terms of your response? You could choose to be intimidated, or angry, or fight fire with fire, or you could stay calm and reasonable, however the other person is behaving. 
Now, I'm not saying staying calm and reasonable is easy. It isn't. But it is possible, and therefore a choice you can, and many do, make. And they choose this response because it tends to work better. Better for the situation, and better for you. You feel more comfortable, confident, and in control. So it may need work, but it may be worthwhile. So tip number two, choose your response. Tip number three, the third letter of priorities is I, and this stands for individual. If we're going to call the meeting, we tend to organize it to suit ourselves. It's our agenda, our key points, our evidence, and takes place in a place and at a time and length to suit us. But what about the other person? What might work best for them? What might the other person or party prefer? It's not all about you, and it takes two to tango. The more you can meet their needs and preferences, the more they are likely to work with you in the meeting rather than against you. There's another key point here to do with the individual, and that is to separate the issue from the individual. Focus on what the person has said or done, or not said or done, rather than the individual themselves. For example, if you have a problem with Alex smoking, the issue is smoking, not Alex. This allows you to value and respect Alex the person whilst being tough and challenging the issue of smoking. If you criticise the individual, they're bound to get defensive. If you criticise their behaviour, it allows you to focus on something that they can change rather than something that they can't. If you criticised me as Arnie, then I'm bound to feel hurt, attacked or rejected at a personal level because there's nothing I can do about being Arnie. But if you criticise a behaviour of mine, say I repeat myself or move off the point, then these are valid criticisms of a behaviour and something I can do something about. So, tip number three, separate the issue from the individual. Tip number four, the fourth letter of the word priorities is O, which stands for outcome. Be clear about what you want the outcome of the meeting to be. What do you want to happen, change or improve as a result of the conversation? What do you want the impact or consequence to be? How will the outcome differ from how things are now? And will you be able to evidence that outcome? How will you know it's happened and that things have improved? So, tip number four. Make sure you are clear about the outcome that you want. Tip number five is another R. The R stands for establishing and maintaining rapport. Quite simply, the less rapport, the more challenging the conversation is likely to be. So, how is rapport established? Essentially, rapport is about being in sync with the other person, finding points of similarity or resonance, and echoing and mirroring the other person in a number of ways, without being patronising, mimicking, or inauthentic. By being in rapport, you are more likely to put the other person at ease. 
Ways of doing this might include empathetic body language, your sitting position, your posture and hand movements for instance, and your voice, its tone, pace and even the words and language you use. So tip number five, be empathetic. Establish rapport to help create a positive mood to help both of you. Tip number six is another I. This stands for inclusivity. Be other-centered. That means taking the other person's perspective, preferences and position into account. For an outcome to genuinely work, both parties must feel it was fairly arrived at and that it's acceptable to both. So, give the other person a voice. Listen respectfully to what they have to say. Value their preferences and perspectives. Include them in contributing genuinely to both the process and the outcome. If the conversation is to get anywhere, both parties will need to work together towards some common ground. If instead you insist, for example, that your view, your analysis and your outcomes are the only valid ones worth considering and then imposing, you might get a, a tacit agreement in the meeting, but afterwards it's more likely you'll be faced with resistance and unhappiness. No one likes having decisions imposed on them. Even if it's a sensible decision, people will still resent how it was delivered. So. Work to build consensus and agreement throughout the meeting. Invite, then listen to, the other person's point of view. How they see the situation may be different and equally valid, at least for them. Process things through their eyes and ears. Show that you are listening and understanding by recapping regularly. It's easily the best way of showing that you've heard and understood. And, of course, recapping lets the other person clarify if you are wrong, which will produce a shared understanding, if nothing else. And here are two useful questions you can ask, particularly at the beginning of the meeting. Firstly, can you tell me how this looks to you? And secondly, can I tell you how this looks to me? These two questions will ensure that each of you have an understanding of the other person's perspective and point of view. So you can both be inclusive by knowing and taking the other person's perspective into account. So tip number six, be inclusive. Tip number seven. The next letter of the word priorities is the letter T, which here will stand for time. Clearly, you need to think of a time scale and time limit for the meeting which will be up to you. But there are three other key factors to take into account under this heading of time. Firstly, the issue of notice. The chances are that if you are going to call a meeting that might be challenging, you will have been mulling over it for some time. You will have identified the problem, the possible reasons for the problem, gathered evidence and so on. So you'll be fully prepared. But what about the other person? Will they have had the same notice and time that you've had? If not, it won't seem fair to them and will be a legitimate cause for complaint. So, involve the other person as soon as possible and give them time to think about their response. 
Secondly, and building on this, how will you let them know you want to have a meeting? If they think it might be problematic or difficult, they might prefer to have the meeting immediately you tell them about it. Otherwise, they'd just get anxious and fret. However, some people might prefer to have more time to think, to reflect, to look at the facts and so on. So the best course here is to offer a choice. Those who want it immediately, then make that option available. And those who want some time to prepare, then allow for that too. And thirdly, it's not just about how long the meeting should be, but when it should take place. Will the time of day make a difference? You know, most of us feel a little grumpier and less focused if we're hungry, and that would be just before lunch. And we might perhaps feel a little bit bloated and lazy after lunch. And surely it's not a great idea to call a meeting later in the afternoon if someone has childminding responsibilities. So think. So tip number seven. How much notice? Give people a choice and time the meeting at a suitable time for the other person. Tip number eight is the third letter I. This stands for interpersonal skills, a set of key small-scale behaviours that you can deliver that make a really big and significant difference. There are many such behaviours, but I'm going to concentrate here on the ones I've found to be most helpful. And these are five that I identify. Active listening, questioning, recapping, body language, and what I call A plus B, acknowledge and build. So let's talk a little bit about each of these. Firstly, listen actively. That's not just listen, but look as though you are listening. Pay attention to the speaker. Have warm and engaged eye contact. Turn your whole body, not just your head, towards them. Nod. The second key skill is asking questions. You are much more likely to get the other person talking to engage them if you ask open, interested questions. Questions are also good for providing focus. You know, I have no idea what you are thinking at the moment. But if I ask you what is the colour of your front door, I know you are thinking about that. And the third skill is recap, which we've already talked about. Nothing proves you have been listening better than your recap of what they have said. And it shows you value what they are saying enough to have listened to be able to recap. And in recapping, you are proving you are a good listener. It also provides you with the chance to check your understanding. And one final point about recap. Recap allows you to regain control of the conversation if it's slipping away from you, or losing focus, or if the other person is dominating the discussion. When you recap, the other person will automatically listen. You are still on their agenda, and they want to know what you've heard and if it's right. So recapping gets the other person to pay attention and shut up. At the end of the recap, ask if what you have said is correct and if 
they say yes, which they should do, then whatever you say next should be whatever it is you want to focus on. Body language. This is something I've already discussed. Just remember that NVC, non-verbal communication, can be just as influential and maybe more so than verbal communication for three reasons. Firstly, people see how you are before they hear what you have to say. So they are already making judgments and forming opinions. Secondly, our body language can create resonance, meaning others act like we act. We mirror each other for good or bad. So for example, if you look tense and uncomfortable, that may make them feel the same too. So both parties are reacting to or resonating to each other's body language signals, perhaps without a word being said. And finally, people tend to trust how people look ahead of what they say. We tend to think that people find it easier to lie or be economical with the truth in terms of what they say, but may not find it so easy to prevent giving the game away through body language. For example, if you were to ask someone a question and they might want to answer with a lie, they are likely to hesitate as they think on the spot of a convincing answer. So it's not the answer, but the hesitation that convinces that it might be a lie. And finally, the idea of acknowledge and build. If the other person offers a view or opinion, don't ignore it. Acknowledge that view and, if possible, build on it. Acknowledging and building are both ways of showing value to the other person. So, the five key skills of tip number eight, <laughs> the, top key skill, three, the top five skills of tip number eight are active listening, questioning, recapping, positive body language, and A plus B, acknowledge and build. Tip number nine. So the penultimate letter of the word priorities is the letter E. This stands for emotion. Sometimes meetings are called because either party is upset, angry, or in some other way emotional. However, this is a really bad basis for diving straight into a conversation. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to have a reasonable conversation when either party is emotional. Emotion hijacks reason. If you decide to have your conversation when you're emotional, it can often be a case of acting in haste and repenting at leisure. So stop, pause and think and calm down before taking any action. Gather your thoughts and, of course, this allows the same to the other person too. And if, during the conversation, either of you become emotional, then so long as the meeting is in a private space, and in particular if it's their emotion, then let them vent. Let them get it off their chest. Don't say anything. Just maintain eye contact and nod and take notes if appropriate. This will allow their emotion to discharge and run out of steam so that they can then return to a reasonable non-emotional state. So remember, it isn't possible to be reasonable with someone who is emotional.
It's like having a conversation in two different languages. So, tip number nine. Remember that emotion hijacks reason and you cannot reason with someone who is emotional. And the final tip, tip number 10. The final letter of priorities is the letter S, which stands for structure. Know how you are going to structure the meeting. You should be prepared to change that structure if it proves helpful to do so, but it's worth having some structure in mind. One helpful set of ideas is again another mnemonic, SCOPE, S-C-O-P-E. This represents a five-stage structure, the key sequential stages to go through, and in this order. Symptom, cause, options, preference, and execution. For symptoms, look for, or to provide, the evidence of what the problem or issue is. Then, look behind the symptoms for the causes, because if you can identify and fix the cause, well, you're likely to fix the symptom. Then, having discovered or discussed the cause or causes, what are your options for moving things forward? Identify the main options and evaluate each. Then, choose the one that works best for both parties, a shared preference. Then, execution simply means put that preference into action. So, Start with scope. Tip number 10. Symptom, cause, options, preference and execution. So those are my top 10 tips for challenging conversations. And to briefly and quickly summarize all 10. Tip 1. Clarify the problem. Tip 2. Choose your response. Tip 3. Separate the issue from the individual. Tip 4. Be clear about the outcome you want. Tip 5. Establish rapport. Tip 6. Be inclusive. Tip 7. Manage time effectively. Tip 8. Use a range of key interpersonal skills. Tip 9. Understand the power and consequence of emotion. And tip 10. Have a clear structure which you are prepared to amend if necessary. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast please share it or leave us a review. Remember you can find full show notes on our website plus a growing library of free resources which you can easily search by theme to find content that's relevant to you. We also offer workshops and coaching on a wide range of topics. Links to all of these resources are in the episode notes. Thank you.